Hello everyone and welcome to the August 20th edition of the WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foles, an attorney with the Floyd Scarron Law Firm. Thanks for joining us today. So let's get started with our litigation report. A new WCAB panel decision invalidates the Administrative Director's Supplemental Job Displacement Benefit Dispute Resolution Regulation. Here's what happened in the case of Dennis versus California Department of Corrections. Anthony Dennis injured his right wrist in 2013 while working as a prison inmate for the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation. He received a stipulation and award for 31% permanent disability in 2017. Prior to the settlement, the Department of Corrections sent a notice of offer of modified work stating that Dennis had voluntarily terminated his employment since he had been released from prison. Dennis disputed the offer of work and requested a dispute resolution before the administrative director. The parties never received a response to this request. Thus, the request was deemed denied on December 8, and an appeal of the denial was due by December 28, according to the regulations. Afterward, Dennis filed a DOR as well as a petition for grant of supplemental job displacement benefit. The defendant claimed the DOR and appeal of the administrative director's presumed denial was not timely. Applicant filed his petition for supplemental job displacement benefit on February 5, well after the time allotted per the regulations. Thus, the work comp judge found that applicant was barred from SJDB because he failed to timely appeal the administrative director's presumed denial of his request. But the WCAB granted a petition for reconsideration and ordered that he be provided with a SJDB voucher. It ruled that Labor Code Section 5300 statutorily vests the Appeals Board with the exclusive jurisdiction to adjudicate claims regarding the recovery of compensation or concerning any right or liability arising out of or incidental thereto. This exclusive jurisdiction extends to inmates who sustained injury and Section 4658.7H limits the Administrative Director to adopting adopting SJDB regulations for the administration of the program, but does not extend the Administrative Director's authority to adjudicate disputes. Thus, irrespective of the regulations, the Appeals Board maintains exclusive jurisdiction to adjudicate the issue of whether this applicant was entitled to the benefits under the SJDB program. While the defendant timely sent applicant a notice offering regular, modified, or alternative work, such offer was not a bona fide job offer because applicant was released from prison and could not return to prison for employment. And in a landmark case, chemical giant Monsanto has been ordered to pay $289 million to a man who claimed herbicides containing glyphosate had caused his cancer. 
A California jury found that Monsanto knew its Roundup and Ranger Pro weed killers were dangerous and failed to warn consumers. This is the first lawsuit to go to trial alleging a glyphosate link to cancer. Monsanto denies that glyphosate causes cancer and says it intends to appeal against the ruling. Groundskeeper Dwayne Johnson was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma in 2014. His lawyers said he regularly used a form of Ranger Pro while working at a school in Benicia, California. He is among more than 5,000 similar plaintiffs across the United States. The California ruling is likely to lead to hundreds of other claims against Monsanto, which was recently bought by the German conglomerate Bayer. Following an eight-week trial, jurors found that the company had acted with malice and that its weed killers contributed substantially to Mr. Johnson's terminal illnesses. The company disagreed, claiming that more than 800 scientific studies and reviews and conclusions by the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, the U.S. National Institutes of Health, and regulatory authorities around the world support the fact that glyphosate does not cause cancer. Glyphosate is the world's most common weed killer, and the science about its safety is still far from settled. In 2015, the International Agency for Research on Cancer, the World Health Organization's Cancer Agency, concluded that it was probably carcinogenic to humans. But the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency continues to insist that glyphosate is safe when used carefully. The evidence used in the case will likely be used to support industrial injury claims by California workers who have had work-related exposure. And now our crime report. Former chiropractor Payman Hyderi allegedly owned and oversaw a network of medical clinics to generate fraudulent buildings to workers' compensation and insurance carriers. Although not an attorney, he also allegedly controlled the day-to-day operations of various law firms, including California Injury Lawyers. His co-defendants, Carrie Abramanowitz, who was a lawyer, and Anna Solis, allegedly assisted Hyderi in these operations. Under the alleged fraud scheme, injured workers appeared at the law firm, which would fill out boilerplate paperwork and on Hyderi's order, direct the workers to one of his clinics to begin treatment. Chiropractors, claiming to be primary treating physicians, allegedly providing blanket cookie-cutter services to each patient, making as many medical specialist referrals as possible, and also wrote medical legal reports using Hyderi's templates. Billings were made in each provider's name and payments were made to their accounts. However, Hyderi required fee splitting, and he was the only one allowed to withdraw funds. Hyderi also said the doctors sell their accounts receivables to him and then sold to third parties. A Riverside County grand jury returned an indictment against Hyderi and his co-defendants. But the criminal defendants filed a demur and later a motion to dismiss the indictment challenging whether the indictment improperly aggregated multiple acts into single counts. 
the trial court denied both requests and Heidery appealed. The Court of Appeals summarily denied his petition last year, but on October 11, 2017, the California Supreme Court intervened, directing the Court of Appeal to actually address these issues. After this ordered review, the trial court ruling was affirmed by the Court of Appeal in the published case of Heidery versus the Superior Court. Heidery argued that the insurance fraud counts do not state specifics as to any single act, but instead aggregate claims of fraudulent acts by individual insurer, one insurer per count. Thus, he says, he is unable to ascertain exactly what prosecutors claim he did so that he can prepare his defense. The Court of Appeal reviewed the indictment, the grand jury transcript, and exhibits submitted to the grand jury to see if there was enough detail for Heidery to know what he will face in trial. Prosecutors took the testimony of the insurer's fraud managers, in-house data analysts, or third-party managers before the grand jury to walk through the spreadsheets and explain the data within them. The reviewed materials met the simplified California pleading rules and the due process requirements. The Court of Appeal concluded that, to the extent that Dr. Heidery continues to claim that the indictment, along with the grand jury transcript and exhibits, does not provide him notice of the charges against him, the court can only conclude that it is because he is turning a blind eye while advancing his argument. Between the indictment, the content of the thorough and detailed grand jury transcript, and the exhibits presented to the grand jury and contained in the record, due process has been satisfied and the petitioner has been given adequate notice of the charges against him. Steve Poisner is clear about how he'll tackle health care costs if he recaptures his old job as California Insurance Commissioner. Poisner held the office from 2007 to 2011 as a Republican, but now is running as an unaffiliated candidate, and he has made fighting fraud a centerpiece of his health care agenda. He argues that the health industry may be forfeiting billions of dollars because the state insurance department's fraud division is understaffed to the tune of 57 investigator jobs, or 24% of the jobs which are unfilled. He said that inflates health care costs and puts patients in harm's way, and these vacancy rates are critical to fill. Poisoner is sounding a very different note from his Democratic opponent, State Senator Ricardo Lara, who says reducing health care costs requires a broad transformation of health care, not just chasing criminals. Lara, who co-authored the controversial single-payer legislation that stalled last year, said he believes health care costs will drop if people have coverage instead of postponing care until it's most urgent and expensive. The insurance commissioner oversees car, property, and some health insurance plans. Rooting out illegal activity is part of the job. And in regulatory news, the Department of Justice and the DEA have proposed a reduction for controlled substances that may be manufactured in the U.S. next year. 
when Congress passed the Controlled Substances Act. The quota system was intended to reduce or eliminate diversion from legitimate channels of trade by controlling the quantities of the basic ingredients needed for the manufacturer of controlled substances. Overall, President Trump's safe prescribing plan seeks to cut nationwide opioid prescription fills by one-third within three years. The new proposal decreases manufacturing quotas for the six most frequently misused drugs for 2019 by an average 10% as compared to 2018. The notice of proposed rulemaking marks the third straight year of proposed reductions, which help reduce the amount of drugs potentially diverted for trafficking and used to facilitate addiction. The Justice Department has announced that the DEA was issuing a final rule amending its regulations to improve the agency's ability to consider the likelihood of whether a drug can be diverted for abuse when it sets annual opioid production limits. The final rule also promotes greater involvement from state attorneys general, and the proposed reduction will be sent to those offices. In setting the aggregate production quota, DEA considers data from many sources, including estimates of legitimate medical need and estimates of retail consumption based upon prescriptions. The DEA have proposed to reduce more commonly prescribed Schedule II opioids, including oxycodone, hydrocodone, oxymorphone, hydromorphone, morphine, and fentanyl. Once the aggregate quota is set, the DEA allocates individual manufacturing and procurement quotas to those manufacturers that apply for them. The DEA may revise a company's quota at any time during the year if change is warranted. CalOSHA has issued citations to an outdoor advertising company for serious safety violations after a worker suffered third-degree burns when a metal pole he was using to install a sign on a billboard came into contact with an overhead power line. Last February, two sign hangers for Outfront Media were working 25 feet above ground on the billboard's platform to install a vinyl sign over West 3rd Street. The workers were using an 11-foot pole to place the 11-by-48-foot sign. One of the metal poles touched an energized high-voltage power line located near the edge of the billboard which resulted in serious burns to 25% of his body. Cal OSHA issued three citations to Outfront Media, totaling $32,435 in proposed penalties. The employer violated provisions for preventing accidents due to proximity to overhead lines, which requires a minimum clearance of six feet be maintained for work done near 34.5 kilovolt lines. Calosha has opened 11 inspections with outdoor and display advertising employers since 2015. Among those inspections were six accidents, including an electric shock incident last year when a worker's ladder came into contact with overhead power lines during preparations to hang a sign. Calosha offers a fact sheet for safety meetings on working safety on or near high-voltage overhead lines. And in medical news, 
And if drug prices are not high enough, now Express Scripts plans to market a $1 million genetic pill. Express Scripts built a million dollar, multi, multi-billion dollar enterprise, pressuring drug companies to lower their prices. Now it is quietly building a side business, getting paid to help drug companies dispense a new generation of very high-priced drugs. To manage any potential conflicts of interest, Express Scripts claims it separates its benefits management and specialty pharmacy businesses. Express Scripts is in talks with biotechnology companies, Biomarin Pharmaceutical Inc., Spark Therapeutics Inc., and Bluebird Bio Inc. to have its specialty pharmaceutical business exclusively distribute their new hemophilia therapies. Analysts project those drugs could top $1 million to $1.5 million in price. Drug companies argue that the potentially curative therapies will likely be worth the high cost if they supplant the hundreds of thousands of dollars in annual medical costs to treat ailments such as hemophilia. They say it is a great deal even if they charge $1 million to do so. So there's going to be some gene therapies where it is very clear that everyone who has the targeted disease should get the costly pills. Express Scripts already has exclusive rights to distribute Sparks Lugturna, an $850,000 treatment for a rare genetic disorder that, if left untreated, causes children to go blind. It has a similar deal with Biogen Incorporated on Spinraza, a drug that costs $750,000 the first year and treats the rare condition spinal muscular atrophy that often kills babies within months of their birth. The company also helps manage one of the most expensive gene-based cancer treatments on the market, the $475,000 Novartis gene-based cancer therapy Chimraya, a personalized treatment that requires a long hospital stay. Those deals put Express Scripts in a vastly different role than its traditional business, managing prescription drug claims for the employees of its corporate and government clients. The business Cigna found so valuable that it agreed in March to acquire Express Scripts for $52 billion. Express Scripts has been expanding its low-profile specialty pharmacy business which dispenses drugs that usually are not sold through drugstores because they require special handling. By doing its own pharmacy instead of outsiders, Express Scripts is able to hold onto more of the profits along the drug distribution chain. Specialty pharmacy is one of Express Scripts' fastest-growing businesses and accounts for about a third of its sales and profits. Many of the newest, most advanced medicines, including gene-based therapies and personalized cancer treatments, will be dispensed through specialty pharmacies, and Express Scripts is pitching biotech companies for exclusive arrangements. London-based DeepMind, a company owned by Google's parent company, Alphabet, focuses heavily on the specifics of using artificial intelligence in healthcare. And it just released a study showing the progress it's made in using 
AI to diagnose eye conditions, which was published in the science journal Nature Medicine. The study reports that DeepMind, in partnership with Moorfields Eye Hospital in London, has trained its algorithms to detect over 50 sight-threatening conditions to the same accuracy as expert clinicians. It is also capable of correctly recommending the most appropriate course of action for patients and prioritize those in most urgent need of care. DeepMind trained its machine learning algorithms using thousands of historic and fully anonymized eye scans to identify diseases that could lead to sight loss. The system can now do so with 94% accuracy, and the hope is that it could eventually be used to transform how eye exams are conducted around the world. AI is taking on a number of roles within the healthcare more widely. In June, Babylon Health said that it gave its artificial intelligence technology the same test required of would-be practitioners in Britain and that the AI performed better than humans. In March, researchers found that machine learning can classify heart anatomy on an ultrasound scan better than a human. AI is also being used to help emergency call dispatchers in Europe detect heart attack situations. Diagnosing eye diseases from ocular scans is a complex and time-consuming for doctors. Also, an aging global population means eye disease is becoming more prevalent, increasing the burden on healthcare systems. Using AI instead could mean earlier diagnoses for patients and therefore earlier treatment leading to less deterioration in eyesight. DeepMind's AI has been trained using one particular type of eye scanner, but researchers say it's compatible with any model. Not only does this mean it can be used widely and without hardware restrictions, but that it will remain useful in the future, even when equipment is replaced and updated. Before the AI can be used in hospitals to diagnose real patients, however, it must now go through clinical trials and gain regulatory approval. And some are now saying that MRI scans may not be so safe after all. Gadolinium contrast media are chemical substances used in MRI scans. When injected into the body, gadolinium contrast medium enhances and improves the quality of the images and is used in about one in three of MRI scans. Three MRI contrast agents have been approved for clinical use in the United States as of 1994. Six more MRI contrast agents were approved by the FDA for clinical use between 1995 through 2017. Radiologists and patients began to question the safety of gadolinium a few years ago when a study came out in late 2014 showing the agent is deposited and retained in the brain. This combined with a small percentage of patients who claimed their health was harmed following gadolinium exams has sparked big debate in radiology over the safety of these agents. There are numerous patient-created groups on social media that discuss MRI gadolinium toxicity issues, which have raised public awareness on the topic. 
The biggest public relations boost came in November 2017 when action movie actor Chuck Norris filed a lawsuit against a contrast vendor and the contrast distributor for allegedly poisoning his wife, Gina. She had several contrast MRI exams, and the suit alleges numerous adverse health effects began after these exams. Norris is seeking $10 million in damages. The suit alleges she contracted what is being called gadolinium deposition disease. It is a term often used by patients who claim they now have chronic health problems from their contrast MRI exams. However, the term is not accepted by many in the medical community because of the lack of scientific evidence showing a direct connection with the contrast agents. The lawsuit described Jenna's symptoms as burning pain throughout her body, violent shaking, numbness, tingling, weakness, cognitive deficits, kidney damage, and trouble breathing. These symptoms are similar to others often reported in patient social media groups. The FDA stated there is no clinical evidence that directly links gadolinium retention to adverse health effects in patients with normal kidney function. And the FDA has concluded, concluded that the benefits of all approved uh, devices continues to outweigh any potential risk. However, in July 2017, the European Medicines Agency issued a final opinion that recommended restricting the use of some linear gadolinium-based contrast agents and suspending the marketing authorizations of others, citing concerns about gadolinium deposition. Patients argue they were never given any sort of informed consent documents to sign warning them of gadolinium's potential hazards. Workers' compensation claims administrators need to be aware of these risks, which may cause a compensable consequence injury to an injured worker. Utilization review vendors should carefully review an RFA for a contrast study and consider whether safer alternatives exist when they are available. Some MRI vendors have touted new technologies like black blood imaging or new protocols that can reduce or eliminate the need for MRI contrast. However, some types of exams still require the use of gadolinium in order to answer the clinical questions the MRI is supposed to answer. There is ongoing research to find alternatives, but currently there is no good alternative for all the things that the gadolinium can help with. And in other industry news, although there has been an overall decline in workers' compensation claims, the frequency of industrial claims from motor vehicle accidents has increased in recent years. According to a new report from the National Council on Compensation Insurance, these accidents can be very severe and are responsible for a significant portion of fatal workers' compensation claims. Actuaries found that over the last five years, the frequency of all claims declined by 17.6%, while the frequency of motor vehicle accident claims increased by 5%. Additionally, 41% of fatal workers' compensation claims were the result of a motor vehicle accident. As expected, certain classifications which are predominantly based on the use of motor vehicles, such as truckers, 
taxi drivers, and salespersons generate the majority of motor vehicle accident claims. According to the Workers' Compensation Rating Organization, motor vehicle accident claims cost 80% to 100% more than the average claim because they involve severe injuries. These claims also tend to represent a higher share of the costliest claims. Over a five-year period, motor vehicle claims accounted for 28% of workers' compensation claims above a half million dollars, versus just 5% of all claims above that level. While numerous factors may explain the rise in accidents, the NCCI report notes that it is striking how the increasing popularity and use of smartphones coincides with this growing trend of motor vehicle accidents. By the end of 2010, approximately 27% of all cell phones were smartphones, but by the end of 2016, that figure had tripled to 81%. The National Safety Council claims that a minimum of 27% of crashes involve drivers talking and texting on cell phones. The report also states that there is strong evidence to support that Underreporting of driver cell phone use in crashes is resulting in a substantial underestimation of the magnitude of the public safety threat. The increase in motor vehicle accidents is not limited to workers' compensation. NCCI found a similar pattern in the general population, with accidents generally increasing over the same time period, along with an increase in the number of traffic accidents and fatalities. And that is all of our news and the events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, for past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, your iPad, or your Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. We also publish a daily flash briefing on the Amazon Alexa Echo platform. Search for Workers' Compensation News on the Amazon website. Again, I'm Renee Fols, an attorney with Floyd Scarron, Manukian, and Langevin. Thanks for joining us today, and please drop by again next week for more news.